0: Who, I, who's the superhero that's gonna speak against Joe Manchin? She, Manchin?
1: I want to know who the real president
2: of this country is, is it Biden? Is Joe Biden or Joe Manchin. She I
1: can
2: hear
0: me. <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear? me now, back for
2: Like they
0: can hit me. I can hear you. <laughs> oh,
2: so who's, the real, hear you. so who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden? Not the vice president. Come on, Charlamagne. I really. I, it's Joe Biden. I
0: can't. No, talk. No, 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 no,
3: no. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president.
4: Do you
1: think Joe Manchin will follow
3: It's
4: Joe Biden, and it's Joe Biden, and I'm vice president. My name is Kamala Harris. And the
2: Who's the superhero that's gonna
5: speak against? All right, hello, all. Welcome to an impromptu episode of the debrief. It felt like we had a lot to debrief about, starting with the viral interview that posted last night between Charlemagne the God and Kamala Harris that portended today's big news, which is that Joe mansion has surprising absolutely no one with firing synapses turned against the build back better bill the 1.7 trillion dollar spending plan that was supposed to be the apotheosis of joe biden's uh ability to reach across the aisle the reason that was held out as why progressives should fall in line and vote for him why democrats who overwhelmingly are to his left Republicans who are even in many respects on many policy bases to his left should toe the line and vote for him despite an enormous enthusiasm gap last fall was supposed to be because he could wrestle people like Joe Manchin into line and pass meaningful progressive agendas we were told over and over again that joe biden was going to be the next fdr i was interviewed for an article in the atlantic in the spring titled welcome to the new progressive era and i and i think david sirota and a couple of squad members ilhan omar maybe were the only ones who were at all pessimistic about the prospect that joe biden was not in fact going to be the next FDR that, in fact, the writing was already on the wall as of the time I did that interview because we had just gone through all of the $15 minimum wage um, American Recovery Act, Michigan, which many of us on the left, including David Sirota and others who have these Nostradamus-esque qualities that come from, I don't know, living a life as a Democrat in America for the last, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, however old you are. Or we all could see this play out. But apart from the handful of us in that article the tone was overwhelmingly optimi- optimistic. I personally was cast as a little bit of a crazy internet loon. You know, I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent it. So let me let me go um well, I'm I'm getting paywalled by the Atlantic so I want to actually pull it up. The point of the matter is that we all saw it was coming. We all saw it was coming when the bill was bifurcated in the first instance. I had David Sirota on Bad Faith Podcast and said, "Hey Sirota. Why on earth would anyone decouple the stuff that even corporatists want from the stuff that normal human beings, democratic populists, actually want so they can survive and live their lives in the middle of a global pandemic, except for to divorce any possibility of leverage being held by progressives in Congress? And Sirota agreed, and now here we are. A lot of people who don't listen to Bad Faith Podcast or read The American Prospect or The Daily Poster are apparently surprised today. People like Brooklyn Dad Defiant, famous lover of the K-Hive and acolyte of of democratic centralism, um, was tweeting
3: how disappointed he was. Oh, no, I'm tearing my hair out. How, How could I have been betrayed in such a way? How? How? Of
5: course, this is the same person who, back in November... When six Democrats voted against the, you know, the half of the bipartisan infrastructure bill saying, you know what, this is, if we pass this now and we don't get the good stuff later, it's going to come back and bite us in the, took us. <laughs> Broken Dad Defy back in November 6th
3: was talking about, you know, how, how horrible they were, how the squad members weren't real Democrats. How they weren't playing, playing ball. They weren't on the right team. And now here we are today. Brooklyn Dads are fine. Oh, no. Joe Manchin betrayed progressives. What a betrayal. All right, guys. All right. So I want to hear from you. I want to know
5: how you're feeling in this moment. Because the last time we did one of these, there were people asking me, what do we do next? There were people pressing me, Brianna, like, there's no leadership. Are you going to be... You know, are you going to provide some kind of leadership or organizational structure and stick your neck out over things like the student debt, um, the, the battle against getting our student debt payments uh, continuing at the end of January? You know, what are we going to do? And I got to tell you, the leadership void hits me, too. It's frustrating for me, too. But in a moment like this, it would be negligent for me not to offer that the reality is that there are political opportunities in this moment. And when the entire country, people like Brooklyn Dad Defy It, not just the left, is recognizing the extreme failures of the Democratic Party, this is a moment where we can start to put together a messaging agenda that makes it clear what our demands are coming as midterm season comes back around.
3: Now, if you are of the belief that Democrats are so cynical, are so uninterested
5: in any progress that they don't even care if they lose um, the House or the Senate, both, at all. I, I appreciate that level of cynicism, and that might be where we are. But on the off chance that there is somebody somewhere who cares even about holding their own seat for pure power incentives, then there is some leverage here again to say it's not just the left screaming this time, it's everybody screaming that you've really cocked this one up. And here's what you need to do. And I do think that student debt, um, student debt forgiveness is a huge linchpin in this because it is one of the handful of things that can be done by executive order. And there is an enormous amount of public outrage around this particular issue that has not gone unnoticed, could not possibly have gone unnoticed by the White House um, and the
3: Secretary of Education. So let's talk. How are you feeling, Nick?
6: uh you know not good but not
7: surprised uh at all that pure cynicism bit that you got into earlier uh that's where i'm at 100 i don't believe the democrats are serious or committed or uh interested in anything other than putting themselves in a position to fundraise off of their uh stockholm syndrome affected supporters but uh but um (laughs) the the one thing that just kind of uh came to mind in my head though is that like i'm pretty sure you know Cromnibus is coming up government funding and whatever could be jammed into that to make sure it passes are you mentally preparing for force the vote 2.0 brie you
5: know i always am you know we so there was a there was a thread by aoc let me see if i can find it where she was basically running through these scenarios and asking whether or not you know putting forward that there was a possibility of another reconciliation cycle, an additional reconciliation cycle, three instead of two next year. And she seemed to believe that that was likely even, right? So here's what she says. She points out that part of why the timing was important and we wanted to get this in the new year is because we only get two reconciliation opportunities a year. She says, if we only get two retcon bills per year and BBB was supposed to be the second retcon of 2021, does pushing roll it over Or does the Senate clock restart in 22? BBB is erased as the second 2021 bill, and Dems now only have two swings left instead of three, likely the latter, but not confirmed. Now, I'm not sure where her optimism springs from, because I seem to remember a media cycle earlier this year, around the time the COVID relief bill was passed, where there was a question as to whether or not the parliamentarian would allow an extra one in this year. Remember that? Because there was a lot of heat coming down the pike about Biden not supporting the fifteen, you know, the fifteen dollars minimum wage being taken out of the COVID relief bill, and at that time it felt like the parliamentarian kind of putting the statement out that said maybe we could get another reconciliation bill was intended to take some of the heat off of them for having clearly not fought for fifteen. And now all of that that didn't manifest, and now all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe this idea that we're going to get extra bites of the apple. To me, it feels like I'm being hoodwinked again. Now, she goes on. Um, the beginning of this thread was about this idea I think, that you're talking about that we had. Um, uh, Jen Briney was on the show talking about as well. The idea of breaking the, the bill, the parts of the bill into smaller pieces and trying to attach them to appropriations hungs And here's what AOC says about that. Uh, So here's a suggestion from Nicholas Weaver, who initially said, split BBB into pieces, force Manchin and the Republicans to vote against individual things like the child tax credit, the insulin rules, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, punish uh, punish them or get the best pieces to pass piecemeal either way a win. AOC responded, many folks bring this up and it's not a bad idea. The problem is that due to the filibuster, we can't vote on items individually. For the most part, the only major legislative uh, legislation Senate can pass with 51 votes are reconciliation bills. We only get two per year versus the rescue plan. Only one left. Um, What makes the choice to push even more harmful potentially is that even if BBB gets pushed next year, raises the question if that decision effectively raises one of. We already read this already. So. It seems to me that that's not exactly what's being asked. I think what Nicholas Weaver, to your point, Nick, is saying, oh. More Knicks, lots of Knicks. Um, is <laughs> well, it's it's state next season, right? the The point um, is to say, just go ahead and force Knicks, them to vote frankly. for it and vote it down, regardless if it's if you need fifty one votes, which is obviously less strategic because they can blame it on other, you know, they can blame it on Republicans. But I think what Jen Briney was saying was at the end of the day, and David Wright I think did a tweet about this earlier too. that They could have just juiced up the Build Back Better bill with giveaways to Arizona and to West Virginia and yes, force the vote, force them to vote it down with a very clear, overwhelming benefit for those two constituencies. If those were going to be the holdup that didn't happen. It doesn't seem like anything else is going to happen. AOC is out here in front of it saying that reconciliation process is over. And so you're not going to be able to do this with 51 votes. And so then, I mean, she's right that the, 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 the optical value of this is less when it doesn't come to 51. You're still going to need some of that Republican support, you know, which isn't coming down the pike either.
3: And it, it, so it feels, I don't know. It feels, it feels done. (laughs) It feels deaded as the kids say, I don't know.
7: Well, it felt done the moment it was apart, right? Like, but uh, yeah, no one, no one else apparently had the, uh, uh, temerity of foresight that you did, which is which is mean, people is strange. Do, but
5: that's the thing. Like, Sirota, I, I'm certainly not the only one here. Sirota was saying it. Jordan Charrington was saying it. Everybody who's not, you know, in the institutional left, you know, I don't know what they're saying over here on Majority Report or whatever these days. I unsubscribed. But, like, I don't... Yeah, almost everybody with a brain knew this was going to be the case. And I've given many interviews. It's not just Anon that I spoke to for The Atlantic. I, I, I spoke to Elaine Gottfried the other day for another piece. I've been talking to people nonstop and reporters know they listen to these podcasts they know
3: why the listens to bad faith they know but for some reason they don't decide to ring the alarm bell and really point to like let the public know at the point where the leverage
5: is lost that leverage is being lost then and at the time well go, don't ahead. You, no, go ahead
7: oh sorry Don't you think on some level, and I think that this is honestly the breakdown between, like, certain independent lefty media or whatever, what it really comes down to is who is willing to actually point out the fact that the Democratic Party clearly sucks? I mean, that's that's really what kind of the breakdown is. I mean, Majority Report or, like, this Vosh guy versus, like, you know, Jimmy Dore for for example i mean the real breakdown if you get right at the core of what's really happening it's that it's people that are still that think that there's value to be taken from siding with the democratic party versus actually being either willing to let it go or actually openly criticize it i i mean this is the whole uh Believing that the build back better could turn into something actually tangible, and the Democrats could eventually come through i mean it's it's either ignorance or cynicism at this point but the the thing is these people just kind of take the the gamble that it's ultimately going to and you're to their benefit to keep on team Democrat no matter what
3: i mean I, I think that's right i i That, to me, is
5: why, you know, it takes a lot of courage, obviously, and I hate having to say this. Oh, I don't agree with everybody. Everything says, everything everybody says. That's, like, true of every single person in the world, including, like, my mother. But, you know, I obviously don't agree with every take that Jimmy Dore has. But I think a reason why so many people find his style of politics to be so validating is because he is willing to say very plainly where the hitch is, you know, where the kink in the machinery is and to lay criticism where it belongs without being concerned about access or public perception or anything like that. And when you are being gaslit the way the mainstream media gaslights all of us for so long, having someone who is as plain spoken as Jimmy Dore is enormously valuable. And I think some people misunderstand the frustration with the squad. They, at times say and do the right things. They were right not to vote for, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the real infrastructure, the corporeal, the hard infrastructure bill because they understood the value of them being tethered together and the leverage there. But also they wouldn't say that back when the bifurcation was first happening and they still won't say something as plain as the Democratic Party, Democratic leadership backed The bifurcation of this bill because they never had any interest in the human infrastructure bill passing. They don't have any interest in maintaining the child tax credit. They wanted to brag about it, about having child uh, having child poverty without having any investment in whether or not they double child poverty. Just as the omicron virus is going to be devastating the country, and that they don't care about you, and that people should seriously consider whether or not. They should invest in this party in midterms and, or going forward. These people all need to be primary. That's something, by the way, that Marjorie Taylor Greene would do. Marjorie Taylor Greene has made it very clear that she's going to force the vote over the Republican speaker when they take the House back. She's already made her list of demands. And I, it pains me. Believe me. It pains me to sit here jealous of Marjorie Taylor Greene of all people. <laughs> but this is where we are. This, this is where we are. It looks like a bunch of people have chewed up Nick, so I'm going to go on to the next. But thank you, as always, for, for dialing in.
3: Of course, thank you. All right, Andy, what what say you well, you know, quite
8: unsurprisingly, I'm just as disappointed. Well not disappointed, but not surprised on the mm-hmm. on the DACA end. You know, I'm not sure if you heard the news, but the proletarian, you know, mm-hmm. our favorite person in politics, uh rejected plan C of the immigration reform. So <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> you know. And, you know, the news of that started to sting a little bit less for me when, and it just sounds so horrible to say, but the news of the parliamentarian stung a little bit less for me when Joe Manchin killed any chances of the bill back better to pass because Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if the bill at large isn't going to pass anyway, what if the Senate parliamentarian was going to say in regards to immigration would have mattered little, you know? So Mm -hmm. that sucks. and. You
5: know, optically, that's also a weird choice, though. Like, why get the stink of the Democratic Party doesn't really care about immigrants on you if you kind of know the whole thing isn't going anywhere anyway? And maybe that speaks to the fact that they really didn't know. Maybe they are genuinely surprised by Manchin acting this way in the 11th hour. Although I truly don't understand how they could be.
8: Yeah, and it's just uh, you know, I was you know, my mom. We, we when we first found out the news about you know Plant C going going down the gutter, and those are just a little bit of like regret in my part because like for the past year, I've done all this uh, you know work of like politicizing my parents and getting them like more politically engaged, and at this point, it feels like all for naught. It even, even, even though for us, you know, we are, uh, we are undocumented uh, immigrants, so we can't vote anyway, but it just feels like that perpetual cycle of like
0: mm-hmm.
8: hopelessness and, imp- and uh, you know, uh, we can't, we can't do anything about it. So it just, so whatever everyone else who can vote is feeling right now, know that there are, are there is a population of us in the country who are feeling that all day, every day. And it's, it's terrible, man. I hate it. <laughs>
5: I'm sorry, Andy. And thank you for that perspective. And I think it's even more important for us who do have the privilege of being able to vote to to really think critically about how we use that opportunity going into the next year. Thank you for that, Andy.
3: All right. Uh, Roxy, you're up next. Go ahead and unmute yourself when you're ready. Oops Oh, sorry, Roxy, I think I accidentally next to you. Get back in line. I want to make sure I, I, I get you up here because um we have a little bit of a gender
5: imbalance, and I particularly not to assume you know but particularly would love to, to hear from you um in the meantime, uh Gregory
2: hey uh, just wanted to call in and say um I, I don't understand why all the media is acting so surprised about the mansion thing because he had said over and over again. He was not going to vote for this so i mean everybody's acting like oh my gosh how could this happen it's like he said he wasn't going to do it he said he didn't agree with it he talked to them over and over again what he wanted to see and they went they weren't willing to do what he wanted so he absolutely did what exactly what he said From my perspective though i keep sitting there going how do black people keep voting in the democratic Party. I mean, these guys are pulling a Charlie Brown-Lucy act on you time and time again. I mean, I honestly think they didn't want to win this thing so they can go out and campaign saying, we tried to pass this, but we couldn't and they're going to try to raise a ton of money. You watch. They're going to be campaigning and raising money like crazy and, again, we're going to sit there and go, "It was the Republicans? No, it's the Democrats over and over again and You know, I'm a libertarian, but I still keep watching your party and going. People keep falling for the same thing. They can't even pass $15 minimum wage. 60% of the people in the country are for it. And I think you could probably pick up quite a few Republicans, but they won't go vote it on the floor. And it's like, if you won't go down and vote. Yeah. then you know, I mean.
5: Yeah, well, I think your point about um You know, black voters is perfectly fair, except for that black voters have even more reason to want to go ahead and vote for Democrats regardless, because, you know, the more historically marginalized your interests are, the more you're going to be willing to stay with the the dog that bites you. Right. I almost feel like it's more it's more of a question why working class white voters stay with the Democratic Party, because at least you know, they're not being targeted in the same way with respect to voting laws and those kinds of things. Right. But the point stands that I think a lot of folks get away with a lot of things in both parties by never putting bills on the floor and having people to have to stand by their record of having voted against enormously popular programs, which is why I think so is our article from October, which says, why not just load up these bills with Millions, billions, who cares at this point, dollars of giveaways for West Virginia and Arizona. Certainly any money spent in West Virginia is money well spent because it's the poorest state or second poorest state in the union playing that fun do-si-do with Mississippi all the time. And make, blast the local news and say, Joe Manchin just voted down all of this money for social services, for infrastructure, jobs, whatever it is that West Virginia needs in the moment and see what happens. See what happened. Remember when he threw such a tantrum? When um, was it? Uh, Kamala? Somebody did. Someone did one ad. Someone visited or did one ad in the state. Maybe it was even uh, Bernie Sanders going to the state, and he was furious and did the whole media cycle about how they shouldn't come car- carpet bagging into West Virginia. He was mad because that kind of stuff works. It's embarrassing for him, but the Democratic Party didn't care. It wants to give a, yeah. a quarter of a billion dollars to these sacks. Uh, assault tax cuts, but won't load up some bill, some money in the bill that would actually go to helping people in one of the poorest states in our country, if not the poorest state in our country. Thank you for that, Gregory. I think one other point um, about uh, whether or not why people are so surprised, yep. I think it is because of the way this came down, with Joe Manchin going on Fox News to make this announcement. Let's hear a little clip of what he said on Fox for some context
3: there.
9: Senator Joe Manchin, it, West it, Virginia. Senator, yes, welcome back to Fox really. At what point do- Good to be with you, Brett. Senator, you're at the
7: center of this uh, negotiation with the president over his social spending and tax bill, a bill, the Build Back Better bill that is not coming up uh, in the Senate before the new year, in part largely because of your reservations. Without you, the leadership doesn't have the votes it needs. So today, right now, what's the state of play?
9: Well, Brad, you know, this is a mammoth piece of legislation and I had my reservations from the beginning when I heard about it five and a half months ago. And I've been working diligently every day and every minute of every day. I've been working on this meeting with whether it be the president, President Biden, whether it be Majority Leader Schumer and his staff, whether it be with Nancy Pelosi, uh, all of my colleagues. I mean, from all different spectrums of, of the political spectrum, if you will, from the right to the left, I've done everything humanly possible. And, you know, my concerns I had and I still have these concerns. And where I'm at right now, the inflation that I was concerned about, it's not transitory, it's real, it's harming every West Virginian. It's making it almost difficult for them to continue to go to their jobs, the cost of gasoline, the cost of groceries, the cost of utility bills. All of these things are hitting in every aspect of their life. And, and you and you start looking at, and then, then you have the uh, debt that we're carrying at $29 trillion. You have also the geopolitical unrest that we have. You have the covid the COVID uh, variant. uh, And that is wreaking havoc again. People are concerned. I've been with my family. I know everyone's concerned. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't.
5: All right. So that's just two minutes of a 13 minute interview um but he's saying pretty much what he said before i'm not quite sure why we are there's all the hand-wringing about it today when this has pretty much been his status quo
3: but let's hear from you roxy what's going on just go ahead and hit unmute on the bottom right can you
4: can you hear me now there you go go. sorry about that earlier um so actually i was uh, going back to your point and a question about leverage you know what can progressives do to sort of you know use a game of thrones reference here you know break the wheel of going Mm -hmm. round and round in circles between republicans and you know corporate centrist democrats because frankly i really don't think democrats care if they lose the next election cycle because they're just as bought off and you know indebted to their donors as republicans so how how do we break that? How do we get through to that when we have such a vacuum, I think, of really strong progressive leadership? You know, yes, we have Bernie Sanders, but even he is, you know, plays a little more nicer than I think most of us would like somebody like him or somebody like, um, you know, AOC to be or even Jamal Bowman to be a little more be a little more aggressive. Like, you know, take it to the to Joe Manchin's doorstep. Like you mentioned, he did not like it when they showed up in West Virginia with that rally. They should be doing that there, they should be doing that in Arizona mm-hmm. and let their constituents see for themselves firsthand how their own elected officials don't support policies that would benefit them as well.
5: Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. I think we have to force the vote on these issues so we have a clear record and I think we need to be going into these people's districts. I also think you know, you see people like these squad members like Representative Bowman tweeting things. The tweeting has gotten more aggressive but the thing that Manchin has ironically as a threat hanging over everybody, everybody else's head, that the left just won't embrace, is the threat of just leaving the Democratic Party. And when we talked about this with someone on the podcast earlier this year, they seemed not to think that was a real credible threat. Um, maybe it was Ro Khanna. I think I asked him, you know, because at the time there was a little mini news cycle about, well, is the tenderness with Manchin about the fact that he could credibly, credibly leave the party, and 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 Khanna kind of poo pooed that away. He he didn't credit that in the least. But it's hard not to read into this moment the idea that Joe Manchin has options and even the progressives, you know, with all the hand-wringing in the world and all the tweeting in the world, they just, they would never be willing to go there. Bernie was never going to be willing to even say, I'm going to delay a month
4: to endorse Joe Biden. It It was like five days went by exactly they don't use all the tools at their disposal you know for as much as like you i hate having to give um what's his name mcconnell any credit Mm -hmm. you know he uses all his tools at his disposal Mm -hmm. he's not afraid to take a stance and use them and he's not going to budge and uh, sadly we don't have strong leadership that does that i really don't have faith in anybody like nancy pelosi ever doing that but those the newer progressives that we vote in, i really wish they would step up more and be a little more aggressive that way so that you know Make it harder for them. Don't make it so easy so they can get away with not passing important, substantial legislation, and then having the mainstream media go out there and sort of, you know, sell their nonsense for everybody.
5: Yeah, I mean, my crazy person wet dream is that all of the squad members uh, threaten to defect to the forward party (laughs) or something if they don't get their way. Something, you know. But a a girl can dream. Thank you for that, Roxy.
3: All right, Spencer. What say you? Oops. Sorry. I think I actually accidentally made you a speaker um, instead of a caller. There you go. Okay. Whatever. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm, I'm
5: doing all right, Brianna. How are you? I've been better. <laughs> yeah, you know, I yeah, had you. a really decent brunch today. So there was that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great bass
10: lesson this morning. There's, there's ups and downs to everything. I, I,
5: <laughs> I'm glad to
10: hear it. I just wanted to comment. I, I was just talking with a friend of mine. I've been interested in democratic politics from a very young age. I kind of got politicized during the Bush administration, even though I was still literally a child at the time. And that and that means that mm-hmm. I, as I was a precocious kid and I was involved in this stuff, I was talking to adults. I have a lot of relationships with adults, you know, my, my parents' generation who are, you know, like on the older end of Gen X, maybe some younger baby boomers mm-hmm. who... Are really really obstinately stuck to lesser evilism, and stuff like today is like where I mm-hmm. I I don't know I ping pong I, I I think we may we might share this a little bit I ping pong back and forth between oh these people are never going to get it and oh my god why don't you get it yet <laughs> does, does that make sense
5: yeah yeah I I, I get it I mean I, I was really heartened like I make fun of Brooklyn Dad defiant but part of me was like genuinely heartened when i saw how pissed off he is because that's grist for our mill right that feels to me like an inflection point that maybe we could take advantage of on the other hand it might be the case that they're never gonna get it
10: (laughs) giving you a soundboard was a dangerous
5: choice i am a terrorist all right okay don't click me saying that.
10: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I suppose if I have a question in particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I actually joined Socialist Alternative in part because I, I found them through bad faith and, and hearing Sean. Oh,
5: congratulations. Welcome.
10: Hey, th- thank you. Uh, good to good to talk to a comrade always. <laughs>
5: um,
10: but uh, something that's the, kind of been odd to me is... Uh, you know, like I said, I I joined because of the show and, and watching some of the failures of the left during the Biden administration kind of pushed me that direction, right, pushed me away from reform and towards mm-hmm. revolution. Uh, and my question is, you know, something my comrades and socialist alternative will, will say to me is that, like, Spencer, you are too concerned with these liberals. Like, you are too concerned with trying to uh, flip people who, even if in the long term, their interests are shared with the broader working class, they don't perceive it that way. And and you know, I've, I've heard folks like on This Is Revolution podcast, like kind of push back against you on that point as well. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any updated thoughts or feelings about that kind of strategy or even just on a personal level, uh, you know, that, that-
5: About the value of electoralism at all?
10: Mm, about the value of trying to convert liberals, I guess. Uh, uh, oh, but I mean, well, look- I'd, I'd be interested to hear your questions on electoral, your answer on the electoralism question too. <laughs>
5: To me, it's like, if you're not endeavoring to convert, okay, here's the thing. People want to say liberals are liberals and it's better just to get non-voters. I mean, great, but literally the entire... Agenda of Bernie Sanders and like the Democratic Party has been sitting around saying we're going to get non-voters to the polls. Why would a non-voter come not to come to the poll? Why are people already not voting because they don't see any manifestation that it's going to result in any material benefit in their life? Okay, they're correct. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right. No
5: lie is detected, right? So I can go and try to make a pitch to a group that maybe if they vote this time for some milquetoast candidate that. Maybe we can get some non-milk toast candidates that down and down and down the line. That's very difficult. And I'm not, again, I'm also not saying don't try to register non-voters, right? Mine is an all-inclusive strategy. I think it would be negligent to not try to register non-voters. I think it would be negligent not to try to appeal to people who are already registered and go to the polls every single year which is why i thought it was frankly negligent that bernie campaigned sp- and spent so much time crowing about how many young voters liked them and spent almost zero time in ad dollars catering to older voters who always reliably vote and who oh coincidentally are enormously served by bernie sanders agenda and and it's just it feels like it feels like um low hanging fruit mm. already registered voters you know and i have had the experience of talking to and converting enough people in my life. It's not, it's not Bradley Whitford that you're trying to convert. (laughs) You know, it's not Brooklyn dad defiant. It is the, the woman I met in the pews at the mega church when I was in Cleveland for a, a Nina Turner's race who was genuinely confused about whether she should vote for Chantelle Brown because she had a family connection or vote for Nina Turner because she had supported Bernie Sanders in the general election. And like three minutes of talking through the issues and what the implications of her vote would be, had her firmly saying, oh, okay, obviously I should vote for Nina Turner. Thank you for just talking to me about it. These are people who are political, who care, but who are not listening to, you know, bad faith every day. They're not listening to... TruAnon or Chapel or Red Scare or whatever, they're not hearing an analysis of the, of the kind that we feel like, oh my God, we're screaming at the top of our lungs and why isn't everybody getting it? Because they're not listening. They have other things to do. They're living their lives and the only analysis the mm. average American gets is on CNN and MSNBC. There is no mainstream alternative for people to be able to process their feelings and understand the stakes. So I'm thinking with all, there's millions of women and people like her yeah. out there And to say that, like, I'm not going to try to make a pitch because some quantity of folks are Brooklyn dad
3: defiant seems to me just negligent.
10: Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I I can't argue with that. I think I think perhaps my personal problem is just choosing my targets. Uh, I, I because of my own personal situation, I just know a lot of people who, even if they aren't like literally paid operatives like Brooklyn Dad, they you know they they are sort of tied up in that world uh, emotionally, if not financially. Yeah, I so, hear that.
5: Um, but most Americans aren't politico uh, right. are politicos? Uh, most Americans are not. You know, like like I said on the uh, Nina Turner episode, most of the people who were there in that church that had Chantel Brown buttons on weren't even from Cleveland. They were, you know, democratic, affiliate, democratic party affiliates who had come in to pass out T-shirts and stump for Chantel.
10: Right, right. Can I? could I ask you a brief follow-up? Sure.
5: Uh, Anything you, for you, you Spencer? You since know. you actually did, went ahead and did a clip from the last episode, which I deeply appreciate. <laughs> M- MVP for Spencer.
10: <laughs> it was. It was literally just so I could send it to my own mother. I'm a very cool person. Uh, <laughs> I. what you said about there not being a lot of mainstream alternatives uh, to that kind of news for people to process this kind of thing made me think of probably the other largest left voice I follow in terms of just sheer popularity besides bad faith, which is to say Hassan Piker. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've I've found plenty of awesome, even more radical lefty media, partially through your podcast. I listen to This Is Revolution regularly now, Uh, but uh, Mm -hmm. Hassan undeniably captures a pretty huge audience and, and I Huge. think it is interesting that my, my main political critique of him, I think he's right on a lot of issues, but is that he's got this sort of nihilism uh, streak, this this doomer streak, which, you know, as, as you said last week, I don't, I, you don't begrudge anyone who wants to do that for a year. And, and fair enough, you know, but I think when you're, when you're a media yeah. personality of, of, you know, that much, uh, that much regard, that much popularity, that much, you know, I, of course his influence isn't. Um, all powerful, but as far as lefties on the internet go, he's got some.
5: Yeah, well, somebody was on here giving me the business the other the other day for you know not leading the charge, you know not personally organizing the student debt. Right, right. I'm, I'm not and, saying and like, I want, no, I want Son but, Tiger
10: to but the let, let me, Don't get me let off. me say this:
5: I I part of why I bristled, I was thinking about my own psychological profile and why I was so irritated by that. Yeah. And part of why I was so irritated it was because the person was right. And I, you know, I do judge myself for, I guess, I had enough confidence or I wanted to believe enough that, you know, Asher Taylor in the Debt Collective was on the case.
3: You know, I asked
5: Mm -hmm. her the series of questions in June, 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 when it became apparent that Mm -hmm. Biden, when Biden said he wasn't going to move the student loan deadline again. And so we knew we had a set amount of time, which I'm no organizer, but I know during force of vote, The rhetoric was there's not enough time to organize because there's only a couple of weeks. I don't know how much time you need, but six months felt like a huge improvement on that. So, you know, what what could be done? And, you know, and and I want to have her back to talk about this because I I certainly don't want to be casting aspersions or anything. And maybe there are real real limitations. Right. But what it feels like is even the people with some institutional grist Mm -hmm. like the Debt Collective, which has done this before at a smaller scale and been successful, and has a website and has a reach and has a profile and has the ability to make videos and all that kind of stuff still lack the confidence to say, we're all going to go, we're all going to put our credit scores on the line right now and be in this together. And what it feels like, and I'm, I'm implicated in this too, right? As a member of the bourgeoisie, as it is, as it were, you know, that it feels like all the people who are leading these organizations know that the consequences aren't going to fall on them first and foremost, and therefore our, Understandably hesitant to lead a bunch of more vulnerable people into battle, I totally get that from a psychological and ethical perspective. But the consequence of that is that, given that the the leaders, for a a whole host of cultural and credentialing reasons, tend to be bourgeois, that nobody feels equipped to lead ever, and so no, nothing gets led.
10: Exactly. Yes. I I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. And so this is this is the situation I'm in. This is the place that I'm in. I was I was talking to a friend the other day. Like last night at dinner, actually. And I was like, look, you know, sh- what is my obligation? Should I, you know, there's a world where I am willing to throw my credit score over the. I have a good credit score. You know, like I've been, I've been blessed in life. I, I don't, I, I would be willing to, to potentially throw it on the pyre if there were a real organization. But what Astra said, I think wisely on that episode was individuals just randomly not paying is not the same thing. And I don't think that that's advisable. There has to be collective action. Okay, now the follow-up, how are you going to do the collective action? Never came through. And that I will critique organ- the organization for or what have you. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I, people scream at me all day, you're not an organizer. And they're right, I'm not an organizer. I don't know. Beyond <laughs> yeah, I'm screaming into this GD microphone. What would it have to, what would it, it would take to get a million, two million, five million, 10 million people committed to this cause. I tweeted after that Astra episode, I did like a straw poll on Twitter, one of those little like polls. You know, how many people would have to commit to doing a student debt strike for you to be willing to participate? You know, I was trying to get a sense, like from an organizing perspective, are we looking for 100,000? Because the, the previous strikes that uh, Astra has done have only been like a, few, like a few thousand people, two, three, four, five. So are we looking for two, three, four, five? Are we looking for 10,000? Are we looking for a million people before you would feel comfortable participating? Are you looking for half the student debt population, like 22 million people? And what's possible given how viral so many of these student debt memes have gone where everyone's so pissed off right now? You know, if the video gets... You know, millions of views, is that some indication that millions of people are willing to not pay? And there's also some cohort that is just not going to pay because they can't pay, who are absolutely going to be on board because either they're going to do it alone or they're going to do it together and together is better.
10: Right. What do you got to lose at that point?
5: Right. Um, But thank you for that, Spencer. It looks like we have a queue that's queued right on up, so I'm going to move on. But I appreciate you and I appreciate you
3: for also um, making a clip, even if it was just to send it to your mom. Sure thing, Brianna. Of course. All right. Uh, Clifford, welcome back.
5: How's it going?
11: Hey, thank you so much. Um, you were so patient with me last time, and and I really appreciated you getting through a lot of what I had to ask. And and I've made a list for this time. There's even more this time, so I'll try not to waste too much time. I'm so sorry, but uh, but I really I really like that last discussion. I thought like maybe uh, uh, kind of uh, taking that archetype you were just discussing and kind of like applying it to a bunch of different scenarios where like, I feel like uh, maybe if you don't consider yourself like a leader necessarily, you're definitely like what I would consider like an amplifier of like, you were just saying like popular, Mm. like trying to like shift, you know, a narrative or, or I think one of your guests said like a paradigm shift. I think that's kind of, so I was, if I could just Mm. focus my comment then onto this, uh, I guess, like electoralism versus, you know i don't even know what you'd call it but radical more radical action or whatever um but i i definitely i think last time i called in it was almost as if my argument was like abdicating electoral politics which i definitely don't uh, definitely don't intend to abdicate uh you know advocate for because like uh you've had many guests on who have said um you know this uh, elections are a time to organize and like a good focal point for that and i think that's very on point and i think every comment you've made about uh abandoning the democratic party voting third party ranked choice voting i live in maine we have ranked choice voting there's still i guess what i'd like to speak to then is that uh the the entire construction as it exists now um even with these added factors because of the media ecosystem and whatnot and this is all stuff you know so i apologize but like the uh it's just so much an oligarchy, and so much uh, based only on the capital that I feel like to play into the electoral arena with even a, a, a majority of our focus. I feel like might be um, uh, somewhat of a mistake in that the uh, the figures that are in power now. If we look at history, a lot of the times it's it's not like an electoral shift that then forces the people in power to to make concessions. And I think a lot of people rightly point out how like and I think you have in the past of how even if there wasn't a mansion there would be someone else, you know, who just is the fall person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that
5: rotating villain Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
11: exactly. Rotating villain So I think that <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um so I think um that's uh instead I feel like it's much more like um I guess the uh, the when we look at the past and we just see that, like, for example, um, the actions in the United States that were extremely popular actions were in part, you know, uh, reactions to the incredible, you know, and unfortunately violent um, actions that took place in Russia and overseas and the attempted coups by. Um, you know, communist figures, but
5: right. right. So the question you're getting to, Clifford, mm-hmm. is yes. is that what's the path forward? I think that I think we agree, and we talk about that on the podcast a lot. But that's what we're saying with the student debt stuff. It doesn't matter. We can sit here and talk to the cows. Come home. Someone has to effing right. do it. Like, right. I am not directing this frustration at you, Clifford, of course. And I'm sorry. No, of but course. But I'm hype AF right now because this is a moment where if people had organized six months ago to kind of load the chamber of you know a, a student debt strike then this is something that could be tethered to the historical moment we're living in right now. Right.
11: Exactly. Exactly. For example, after cop 26, I remember you had this amazing discussion. It was my favorite episode of all time with uh, Peter Kalmus oh. and, um, and, mm. and, uh, and Eric, I forgot his last name. I'm so sorry. Uh, whole, whole house. But, yep, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and so, but there was this talk of cop 26 and that will be, this is months out before it had even convened. And if this goes south, mm-hmm shit has to go down there has to be like Mm -hmm. there needs to be an or else factor built into to any uh, political slippage or any ideological slippage or any broken promise and and I totally understand Mm -hmm. like right now I'm just talking but I guess like I mean we do see what the action looks like we know that like people we could be sharing bailout funds all the time we there's a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that we could be doing and I do think that it's like uh like even just you, like what I see as your, like the thing that you do best is like, is changing this narrative. It starts like in the areas you have influence and then it spreads. And, and I think that normalizing this kind of like the real like core of like, these are the things we can be doing. These are the goals we should be having. These are the demands we should be making. For example, uh, Extinction Rebellion. Um, I, I I sent an email about recommending Mm. them maybe, or their Uh, one of their figures as a, um, uh, as a potential guest or something like that. I think they have a, like citizens assembly demands Mm -hmm. ways of hitting the people in power and taking some of their capital without, sometimes it does risk jail time, but then there's bailout funds and legal funds. And there's a huge compelling legal argument for when literally the species is on the line, if enough people could, uh, could, uh, you know,
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that they are, they know that this is where people are heading. And that's why there have been all of these states, and I referenced this during the Stephen Donzinger live stream we did a week or so ago, there have been state by state ratcheting up of the penalties for, um, you know, uh, I don't don't want to call it eco-terrorism because that's what they like to call it, but whatever, you know, dismantling pipelines, chaining yourself to trees, all of that kind of jazz. Um, And because they know that that's the next step. But here's here's what's the, the irony of it all is that the Democrats have bent to the Times and appropriated the language of how exigent the climate crisis is. And they will say it and Chomsky will say it and they'll all say it to get you to vote. And then they will throw you in jail for behaving in a way that's in line with the exigency that they laid out, that they have co-opted. Right. And no one's talking about that in the same way that no one is, you know, very few people are talking about Stephen Donzinger, but that's where we're headed. And they, they understand. I mean, I I think that part of what is going on with 1-6 is not just the the focus that the Democratic Party has on 1-6 might not just be the obvious, you know, reaction to an extreme event and an extremely optically jarring event of a bunch of folks storming the Capitol, but also the reality that those kinds of moments could be emerging on the left as well in a potentially more sympathetic way and understanding that it's arguably part and parcel of a kind of reactionary sentiment that is a re- reflection of what happened last summer with George Floyd, too, where people are at the end of their rope for different reasons, some more legitimate than others and across the political spectrum, but that people are at the end of their rope. And that's why they want to punish them hard. And that's the same with Julian Assange. People are at the end of their rope, in, including within these institutions, leaking documents and per- being prepared to try to bring the whole machinery down. And they want to make sure everybody who could do so is going to be punished to the full extent. And that's what we're seeing with all these censorship cases on all of these um, platforms and on and on and on and on. They They are gearing up for this game. They've already been gearing up for this game because they have anticipated that this is the next step as people lose confidence in the electoral process. And what's fascinating to me is that instead of throwing us a goddamn bone. A little a little bit of Bernie, you know, just like, just a piece, as Lubega might say. Although, didn't he also just show up at like a right-wing rally, Lubega? Somebody call in and confirm. <laughs> but, you know, they would rather actually force people into that kind of, frankly, you know, whether it's property violence or physical or human violence, violent kind of reaction, than just giving people enough to go back into the status quo and believe the American dream is possible. And that, to me, is like well, quite a choice. Or maybe it's not a choice. Maybe they have just miscalculated how angry Americans are, but it's about to get wild. This is about to be a wild effing year, especially, you know, depending on how COVID manifests over the next few months.
11: I think you're 100% right. And I think that maybe the thing you're detecting, and this is just my opinion, so it could totally be invalid, might be that it's just so much a dash. We see this in history all the time when monarchs or you know whichever figure has the chance to appease the masses in some degree. But instead, because of the nature of greed, and, and I would argue capitalism, it's just a short-term dash to as much as they can get. Like the cluelessness of these people, like mm. Bezos going into space you know what i mean and just how how absurd everything is if you look at it as like this kind of diorama of all these different things happening um that just like they do not match healthcare and like billions in profit and like just like any bernie speech but you put some visuals on that and just blows your mind like the coal baron driving his maserati getting off his yacht to then go tell people what entitlement is i saw that as a meme and i was like wow that's on point Mm. but i would just say that like so the thing I just uh, as far as percentages of the conversation, when we talk about the the incredible record breaking protests that occurred during a global pandemic. Right. So like how big would it have been if there hadn't been some hesitancy, I'm sure, from some part of the population to be out in the streets during that time? Um, looking at that and really studying that and being like, what are the what are the how does that ripple uh, emerge, and what does it look like on social media? How is it manufactured in this time? Because I feel like we 're basically in the Gilded age, and the same conditions are the case, the same kind of like extreme militarism is de- required and i 'm not talking about violence necessarily, but some sort of nonviolent sabotage or some sort of capitalist costing action and and it 's just like now, how can it be replicated across? Like the social media forms of today. And I think that that's incredibly hopeful because of how viral things can move. And I'm sure you know way more about it. Well, it's
5: hopeful. It's hopeful and it isn't, Clifford, because at the end of the day, last summer was the biggest protest in American history. Globally, millions of people committed and it resulted in absolutely nothing. Absolutely right, and
11: it was it was during an election year, and we voted for this. Like I can't even like I can't even conceive of like this kind of candidate being so at odds with the the movement's demands. And I think that that was like that was like you were just saying.
5: Although Clifford, I would say, in fact, because it was an election year, that was part of how it got neutered. Because the that's what I'm saying. That's exactly
11: what I'm saying. That's what I'm exactly what I'm saying. That was an election year. This likewise will like. It's the midterms. It's not the same, but I'm just saying exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's an election year as if we can flip a coin. And it's like, now you guys can go out of the streets because we elected Joe Biden, who will like, you know, like, what a fucking joke. But the uh, but that's my point. It's like Joe Biden or Nixon or, you you know, whoever it is in power is not going to do the things we want, no matter how many you know political changes happen it's only like the craziness that has to take place for them to be so intimidated that they cave
5: right but not just that the craziness has to take place but there has to the study needs to be of not how to to provoke a reaction because you're getting lots of reactions it's how to prevent them from being co-opted with by the way the way that black lives that's, so, leadership.
4: True. So, but there, that's Clifford, so true that's so true i gotta get through
5: some of these others
4: yeah of course thank that, you Clifford. so much
11: so i really appreciate it
3: Thank you. All right, Tom, you're up at bat. What's going on? Just hit the mic and unmute yourself in the bottom right.
12: Yeah, can you hear me now?
3: I can't. What's going on, Tom?
13: Uh, not much.
12: Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, of I mean, course. The previous two callers pretty much hit the point, but um, I guess the one question I had was on uh, messaging. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a probably i don't know if it's a stupid question or i'm gonna be way off the mark here but increasingly as i made something of an effort to kind of sort of inform myself about these things i'm more under the impression that at least with the democrats it's like a feature not a bug like you know people talk about the dems like oh how can they do how can mm-hmm. they get build back better you know past and there's a part of me that's just like every time mansion or cinema you know blocks something biden probably breathes a sigh of relief because he's like you know now my whole performative gig is up Mm -hmm. i don't have to act like i like this horrible stuff blah 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 whatever but here's the other thing and i don't know if maybe as somebody who's been on the kind of um public relations side of this stuff you know there's something missing within the democrats and their messaging towards labor and the labor vote and this is something that's like really big here in New York. Like mm-hmm. I said on this uh, call-in before, I work in construction. And New York, you know, New York construction trades always love to tout that, you know, oh, this is a union city. Bullshit. Now we're probably the most unionized of the cities in the U.S. I think it's, I think about a third mm-hmm. of labor here is unionized, but the, it switched to non-union in like the late 2000s. And increasingly, um, if you see if you're in the city, you'll see this company D'Onofrio. They've got a D with an arrow as their logo. Mm-hmm. We work with them at my job, they're terrible. You know, they they basically bounce all the unionized truck drivers out. Most of their drivers are non union. I'm mm-hmm. rambling, sorry.
5: <laughs> no, quick. you're fine. This is this is informative. I, I really appreciate these kind of perspectives. I was just googling D'Anafrio and yeah, this does look familiar.
12: Yeah, and so they'll contract out to, like, these smaller trunk companies that, I mean, Con Edison does this, too. Uh, they work with Cleanup and some of these other companies that are non-union. I mean, they they treat their guys like trash, really bad. They, You know, they're the only mm-hmm. companies that are working on holidays, which works for me because I get double time on holidays. But I know <laughs> they don't. So, uh, you know, I feel kind of bad for them. But we had the company Christmas party the other day, and it's all these, you know, mouth-breathing chuds. <laughs> Who are like unvaccinated at my job, you know, and they're all they all they all think like, they you know, there's Trump stickers all over the trucks and all over the stuff. There's like Trump bobbleheads in the management office. It's, it's like really once you get into the upper echelons of construction, it's like really right wing for some reason.
5: Mm. And what do you what do you why do you think you say it's for some reason? But do you have a theory?
12: Uh, I guess I, <clears throat> I think a lot of it is just really kind of dumb culture war stuff. I mean, for management. I take a much more cynical approach. With them, it's all profits. You know, they want whoever's gonna mm-hmm. basically secure their bottom line, increase their profit mm-hmm.
5: margins. Mm-hmm.
12: But for the workers, I, I was, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. go
5: ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead.
12: Oh, oh, so I was just gonna say, but for the workers, especially a lot, a lot of these guys are union like labor, you know, operating engineers, local fifteen, local fourteen, laborers international, we got the Teamsters two eighty two, like these are all like die-in-the-wool kind of union labor these guys have been with the unions for 10 15 20 25 years and mm. i feel like maybe i just noticed it like half of them are all just like you know maga chuds like through and through maybe it's just that you know the squeaky cog gets the grease so to speak they're the
0: loudest
5: but what's the perception do you think it's truly just culture issues driving it for those folks as well like is there a discussion? Because I, I, I will acknowledge like I don't hear either party having any conversation about what either has done for or against labor. I don't hear Democrats talking about how this senator voted for you know to to strike this labor protective policy or that this Democrat was fighting to get this one passed. Like I don't hear it ever on either side. So I I don't I don't even blame necessarily an individual to abstract to culture issues out you know and ignore the more material direct labor issues that are affecting their lives. Like I'm, I'm struggling to think of it. Am am I wrong? Do you hear people talking about the Republican party giving, you know, talking substantively about labor in a way that would make the argument that the Republicans are actually better or is that nobody's talking about it at all. So culture fills fills the void.
12: There's a weird kind of hybrid approach. Um, I don't really know how to explain it. Like a good example, I'm probably messing this up, trying to recollect this, but There's two main things that are coming to mind. One, in this industry, I mean, on the unionized side, too, there's a lot of immigration, you know, a lot of migrant labor. I mean, a surprisingly high amount of the Portuguese are in this industry, which is totally strange to me because I never met somebody from Portugal until I got into the construction trades. A lot of Polacks, Mm. a lot of Dominicans, a lot of West Indians, a lot of (laughs) Colombians, stuff like that. Whatever.
5: No, I know that, yeah. that's the term of choice, Tom, but we'll, we'll go with it for now. Okay, yeah. so uh, there's, well, there's a lot of diversity in the trade. Are you saying that there's a perception that immigrants are taking the jobs?
12: Oh, yeah. So, all right, thanks for putting me back on track. I just ate those, so I'm like out of breath talking. Um, <laughs> so, but on the non-union side, you get a lot of undocumented labor. If you, have you ever seen that rat float around the city? Yeah, that's that's oh, like sign that this is a these are scabs. This is a non union company mm-hmm. that's building mm-hmm. this building, and it's in that part of the industry. You know, maybe I'm telling on myself, but at the company I'm working at right now, I'll be leaving in two weeks. But a lot of the workers in the yards are undocumented, and they get treated like shit. Like no health care. Mm. Um, my coworker Manuel just had hernia surgery. He wasn't given any sick time. I spoke to management, the supply guy. And management, I said, by law, by New York State law, they have to give him sick time. They just didn't give a shit. And the undocumented laborers are too mm. scared to push back because they're afraid they'll lose their job. I mean, Manuel's father was just but fired how, after it, 15 and years of, like, loyalty with the company because he got into an argument with the manager.
5: And that doesn't – those kinds of moments don't inspire any kind of investment in labor protections or solidarity among the workers. It just continues to divide folks into thinking – Okay, the, the undocumented folks are having a bad, I don't want to be like them, let me just preserve my own interests and not get involved and not cause trouble. I'm not going to advocate for anybody, it's certainly not someone other than myself, my own cohort. Because there's, there's a world where you would see all those abuses and imagine that people value their labor protections even more.
12: Exactly.
5: And see yeah. and say, okay, I don't like these you know, undocumented people being used as scabs, therefore I'm going to push for protection for everybody involved. I'm going to push to get these guys in the union. I'm going to push, you know what I mean? To make it so that they no longer have an incentive to be scabs.
12: Yeah. So I, I, I'll i just respond. I'll, I'll wrap my point up. So, sure. um, so like with the cross, so basically, you know, you know, Republicans, they love banging the drum of like immigration, you know, immigrants are stealing your jobs and stuff like that. But when you hear from like the Dems, like, you know, it's all this like, oh my God! You know, diversity is our strength. Oh my God, tacos! You know, Indian food, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like,
5: you're, you know the kind of. Politics I mean, you're you're about. you're being only ten percent more reductive than the Democratic Party is, so I can't just even a, be too uh, mad at you. Just a little bit,
12: <laughs> just a little bit. But yeah, you know, and there's there's a lot of great things that come with diverse. I mean, I'm a born and bred New Yorker. This city's like nothing but diverse experiences. So, like, I, I wouldn't be able to sit mm-hmm. here and say, "Oh my God." boo-hoo, wah immigrants, yada, yada. But um, it's on that issue and then on regulation. Like sanitation, sanitation cops or DEP will come by my job. They'll shut the whole place down. They'll levy out crazy stuff like ten dollars and $12,000 fines for like minor discrepancies. If you're taking a 10-wheeler over the frog's neck and you get pulled over by transportation, if you're like a half a ton over your limit, that's a thousand dollar mm. fine. But the second you get mm. over the Bronx County um, border and up to New York state, the New York state regulation allows you to carry a uh, are in a 10 wheeler, um, 27 tons.
5: So people just try to cross their fingers and hope for the best.
12: Yeah. Especially in Jersey where like the, the regulations are like non-existent. We get all these Jersey drivers that are packing their trucks in with, like 30 tons worth of material and they just like got to cross their fingers every time and hope DOT doesn't stop them and put them on the scales. And that's like...
5: Oh, interesting. But but help me understand, and connect this to how this plays out politically. You're saying that people just feel like government is gaming them, creating regulations that are unfair, and that pushes them generally to want to be with a party that is basically anti-regulatory.
12: Yeah, there's something easy about seeing how, like, tickets and regulations affect you materially. And that can kind of get parlayed into a right-wing kind of Mm -hmm. deregulatory message. Oh, look at what the DOT does. Look, we can't even do our jobs, blah, blah, blah. And it's much Mm -hmm. more nuanced and a lot harder to communicate. Hey, this is the reason why we have these regulations. And yeah, we know it. Your job's going to take a little longer. But, you know, Mm -hmm. like progressives are trying to play the long-term game. Like in my job, yeah.
5: But also, like, there are... This is not even... It could be that some of the regulations are stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm listening to you talk, tell this story and I'm also thinking about Philando Castile and and the fact that he was pulled over so many times because he lives in a city where some enormous part of the municipal budget comes from basically double taxing poor people because you're ticketing them for not being able to afford to replace their lights when they're broken and all these other kinds of like traffic violations and all of the reporting that's been done on asset forfeiture and all of the ways that there's theft of assets from the poor by using the criminal justice system as an arm and seeing an enormous amount of parallel there and the same people who are complaining about like traffic cops and and traffic violations are the same cohort who should be are complaining about stupid regulations that are affecting their ability to make money and it doesn't seem to me that this should be some huge narrative gulf like I don't. I'm not ideologically. I say this to conservatives sometimes. I'm not ideologically committed to to big government and regulations as an idea. What I'm committed to is the idea that there are exploit, there's exploitation and excesses that are coming from the private sector that need to be checked. But that doesn't also mean that there aren't efficient inefficiencies in the government. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the government does everything perfectly all the time. And there isn't some gains to trade. There isn't some simpatico to be had in connecting this, these kind of messages to say yes. Your freedoms are being meaningfully limited in some silly ways that I'm not committed to. And what we should be doing is trying to figure out as a community how best to structure society so that you can live your best life as a trucker. And you can live your best life as a, um, what did Philando do? He was a cafeteria worker going to school to help those kids. And that these, these should, be, this should be the same agenda. It's the same agenda. You know, I, I went to Detroit for the campaign at one point. And ended up talking to a man who was telling me about how the insurance costs for cars in Michigan is is like higher than anywhere else in the country, apparently, for reasons. And how that obviously disproportionately affects the ability of lower income people to work. You know, Detroit is not a walk-in city, you know, to get around and to live their lives. And that's a regulation. You know what I mean? This is two people on both sides of the aisle complaining about some dumb municipal regulation but who are manifesting their frustration in two very different ways, partly because they're prioritized different things politically and the culture wars and all these other kind of things. And there's gains to trade here. And it is just frustrating that no one is taking advantage of those kinds of opportunities, but I need to get to the rest of this queue. but thank you, Tom. I appreciate that perspective. You know, I'm always looking to hear from people outside of my bubble bubble. So please do call in again. All right, David, unmute
3: yourself when you are ready.
14: I'm ready. Brianna, thank you so much. We're also lucky to have your mind on these issues. It, I, You're very kind, I, David. I've, what
5: What are you thinking about today? Yeah, what's What's well, What's your, How are you processing this moment? So,
14: well, I, I'm glad I followed uh, somebody who reminded us about what is and what were core democratic values, and some and a mm-hmm. value that, quite frankly, uh, since Reaganomics was so successful, along with you know complicit Democrats, um, we're still struggling with it. So. So I kind of want to kind of separate problems from symptoms, right? So, so and then, and then at the last, the last point will be simply like, how can we? What's going to be the forcing function for us to get out of this mess? Um, so the, uh, the 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 silent majority has become the struggling majority, right? So I already spoke about the uh, the Reaganomics and things like that, which got us here. But the 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 four big mm-hmm. things that I think about. Are first of all, you you so eloquently as usual really kind of laid out like why the, the strategic uh, failures of um, democratic leadership, right? Which regards to uh, tying the uh, Build Back Better to the infrastructure bill, like mm-hmm. how I mean that, that decoupling was was one of the you know, the steps into the abyss, and the thing about pork. How could they not give throw enough pork at a uh, mansion to just, just squeak it through? You know, and, and those those are kind yeah. of doggone it, that's like that's like politics one oh one.
5: Or and at least so- like if you if you're so cynical that you believe that Manchin is motivated by things other than what his constituents want, which I think is completely fair, um, then it's you throw the pork in to embarrass him in front of his constituents. Do you know what I mean? At least, yeah. at least. Yeah.
14: So, 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 I, I actually do agree with what you—the the first point you made, or the first part of that. Mm. Um, but you've got to put the pressure on, and they didn't. Yeah. So who's the, who's the day? It's like Nancy passed the torch, cultivate leadership change, and Chuck. Sorry, Chuck. It's the same kind of thing with, with him as well. Um, you know. So then let, let's get back. Let's get back to what's going to really push. Push. You know. Try. try what? How are we salvage the midterms? Right. So Omicron, for those who aren't familiar with the very latest and greatest, this is going to be the worst. The next few couple of mm-hmm. months, the, 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 uh, the vaccine is only going to be, uh, put it this way. You've got like a 20 to 45% chance it's going to even help. Right. And this sucker is way more uh, contagious than Delta. We're going to have, um, you know, healthcare collapses in a bunch of cities. That is going to, hopefully get the, uh, well, the suburban white moms, right? They're, they're, if you kind of talk about mm-hmm. the segments, that is, I mean, c- how crazy is that?
5: It's going to get them to do what? Because what what did Joe Biden say? Everyone was circulating this tweet today that, to paraphrase, Joe Biden during the primary said, anyone who allowed this many people to die on their watch does not deserve to be president. And that number was like, you know, 200,000 or something. And now, obviously, we're over 800,000 and more people have died under a Joe Biden presidency than a Donald Trump presidency. I, I,
11: for lots of reasons, again, right? I said it's this on the podcast,
5: that this is not to attribute blame to Biden. But if Biden played that game in 2020 and said all of those deaths were attributable to Trump, then of course people are going to make that same argument to him. And what is he prepared to do about it or say about it?
14: He's been do- so he's been doing what he can do in our federalist s- situation here, right? With red states and DeSantis and things like that. So his hands are tied. It's one of those things where you got to be thoughtful about how you word things, right? So so he's doing what, and he has more to do. I'm not saying he has he doesn't have more to do, and I'm not even going to bring up Fauci, okay? But <laughs> but but, mm-hmm. but Roe Wade. If the Supreme Court overturns Roe Wade, those two things, the devastation of Omicron. And and Roe Wade is going to do what the frickin' Democratic Party is unable to do, right? You think it's going to turn uh, enough
5: people to save the Democratic Party?
14: Again, I'll, I, I would add the word again to that, right? Which is, because I believe that the Democratic Party has not been the Democratic Party for a generation and a half. You know, with Bernie, I mean, progress, the, 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 what people have, have called, that's why I don't like the word progressive, those were, I'm a boomer. I don't know if you remember me. I, I, every so often no, you're I so remember gracious. You, David. Of course you graciously let me up here. But <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a boomer, man. My dad was a union guy, you know? Yeah. we, we you know, So in any case, uh, what, 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 the, the, the themes, the policies that we are calling, you know, uh, progressive are full, bold, italicized, you know, triple the size of the font. Those are democratic policies and values, mm. right? So, So we're almost there. Um, the bigger problem, again, is that we were being held back by cinema and mansion. We lost seats, right? We lo- What What the hell are we losing seats for? I mean, we can't lose seats. The messaging has to be fixed. Um, th- some of the things that you described in terms of the strategic uh, changes that need to make or need to happen need to happen. Because y'all, if we don't in midterms, boy, if, if, if but, the but pensions, David,
5: But David, yeah. what you're saying is you think that between. Roe and COVID that the Democrats are basically, they should be or are confident that they're going to be able to eke one out regardless. One, I am very skeptical of that. Although I do, I do think it's possible that Democrats are thinking that way because they're insane. Sorry, insert less ableist word, but like they're all, they're like completely out of touch with reality. Uh, and, but I do, you know, but I don't think that is that, that, that gels with reality. Because if anything, I think that people are more inured to COVID. They're sadly, sickly, disgustingly used to the death tolls. Those numbers don't hit as hard as they hit last fall. You know, people feel rightly or wrongly some protection from the vaccine. You know, they feel like this is what we've been told message-wise for months now, that this is something we're just going to have to be living with for years now. You know, some percentage of the voting cohort that was most vulnerable is already dead. tragically yeah
14: yeah yeah. well i have family and and i think that row is
5: like like that we it would seem like the biggest deal in the world two weeks ago and i frankly haven't even really heard anybody talk about it since then i think the same way that that abortion rights have been constructively curtailed in half the country already it people are just like okay well i can still get one in new york where the media happens and people aren't Aren't that invested now? I, I they might beat that drum a little harder come election season, but what are they going to do about it? They've already demonstrated an unwillingness to pass legislation, they certainly aren't going to get rid of the filibuster, and they certainly aren't going to have more votes at any time in the future. So, what? what is even the argument that you have to vote for Democrats or else row?
3: What is even that argument?
14: That's simple math, so the simple, so so, and I want to address that too because. I've, I, I've, I've, I've swung very left in my life, you know. Um, so I, um, but but there, there is a, there is a simple math of who's going to win in a two-horse race. Okay, and right, and, then, and then and last piece to that, if I if I is the voting rights man. So right, ba- but David, explain
5: yeah. to me voting rights. All of this we've been uh-huh. talking about it all year. Yeah. They have said they are not getting rid of the filibuster. They do not have the votes to pass voting rights reform absent that. So on what planet, what, what is Joe Biden going to say? What are the, what is the democratic party leadership going to say? You have to vote for us to get voting rights passed. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. Black people. So I don't know who the libertarian who spoke earlier are pissed. This is, this does feel like a Rubicon that's been crossed. All of these people from all of these voting rights orgs that got us Georgia and all of this stuff are not, we had been jealous on the show. He was pissed. Um, what's her face? Uh, Latasha um, Brown, La- yeah, Latasha Brown, all of these people who have been leading this mo- movement to get voting rights are like protesting outside of the White House the last couple of weeks because they're pissed off at Joe Biden. I-, I clipped something I was trying to find it earlier months ago, like six, six to eight months ago of a bunch of people who were grassroots door knockers down in Georgia saying we cannot make this pitch again to people. We, they, we are the boy who cried vote for Biden. We were the boy who cried vote for blue no matter who. It's not going to work again. So I hear what you're saying. I know what they're going to do, but I don't think it's going to work. And our posture as leftists has to be to ring that bell and make it very clear that that is not going to work. And if they still choose that path, that the, the public should be judging them harshly for not doing the alternative that will work, which is what we should be presenting to the public right now in this moment.
14: You know what? You're right. You're, you're and you, that's what's why I I come you're, back. You're brilliant. You're brilliant. And what I, I bring it up, I, it, it almost in a in a context of just here we go again, you know, yeah. as, as as somebody who's been like trying to root for that team, and it's like oh, f- losing season after losing season, and they just like get a court qu- what quarterback? What? It's like so. I, I'm just trying to I'm I'm trying to reach for straws, man, right? To try to because it is going to get it's going to get scary if the pendulum swings the other way for more than two years right then there's the the 2024 so i'll land use my clubhouse you know you've come in i'll land my plane on another Mm -hmm. tavis smiley brought it up on uh mar about like how the the, uh uh, with shift right right, directly he said it's taking y'all too long to prosecute the january 6th um It, cause because of the realities of media, the realities of, of just how we just forget shit, right? And and that is um oh, that's scary. 2024. Anyways, thank you so much, Brianna. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, so I hear awesome. you.
5: I hear you, and thank you for that, David. Is yes. it is it gonna be Here We Go Again? <laughs>
14: <laughs> it's looking like it today, right? So,
5: <laughs> all right, let's see. Sylvester, what do you think? Is white snake prescient? Is this what we have to look forward to? Just unmute yourself, Sylvester. We live, we are live. How are You're you feeling? What's going on? What are your thoughts, <laughs> feelings, and opinions?
1: Uh, are we blaming whiteness for this one? <laughs> <laughs>
3: white snake, white snake is the
1: band. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it's um uh, man, it's it, it's crazy. This is this is coming up again, but you know, at the same time, it's not that crazy because we we all knew this was gonna happen. Um, Correct. You know, uh, we predicted it. Um, we said it, and it came it came out to be. So, uh, me personally, um, and I don't know if it might have anything to do with my background. I'm Nigerian. Mm -hmm. right um so i and my my parents always kind of ingrained this in me but to be action and solution orientated you know Mm -hmm. in in terms of my approach so we talk about what we're gonna do all day and it's and it's interesting because you know you bring together um you know some of the best minds in this space and it's always interesting that when you do ask them for like okay what are we gonna do You know, the answers always kind of sound the same where it's like. Mm -hmm.
5: (laughs) And that was not my agenda, by the way, I had no idea it was going to be like that. I thought when I started this podcast and started talking to all these people, I was going to hear solutions. (laughs) And it it has been a certain kind of a (laughs) radicalizing experience for me in this process, to be honest, realizing that, you know, nobody's coming to save us.
1: Okay. So, you know, so I, I have some solutions. Let's talk about it. All right, lay it on, it. We on me, Sly. Let's, let's, so we, I got three things. Okay. I got three three things and you let me know what you think about it. But, okay. uh, but Audrey Lord said that you're not going to dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think one strategy, um, and I think this is something that the real progressives could take up in White House. And this is something that will muddy the waters a bit, but we need members of Congress. Openly calling for the decentralization and divestment of power from our current—and I use this with air quotes—representative government, and shift to more of a direct democracy style of government. Um, I so cancel that- the
3: Senate. Are you are you a cancel
1: yeah, the Senate can't, person? Like, cancel? Well, I mean, I mean, cancel. I mean. Congress.
5: And, 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 well, that's in sense, certainly more alliterative.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, um uh because when you have and, and you've talked about it, when you have these individual policies that pull extremely popular, you know, in, in a populist way, but then you have a representative that's getting their money from insurance companies, a big pharma, um uh student uh loan companies, they can just buck whatever it is that their constituents say. And override that, and I think that maybe shifting to a direct democracy type of system where you know we can vote on policy, you know, gather signatures. If we gather signatures, we can put a measure, a ballot, um, something on the ballot to where people can vote on individual policies in terms of like, do we want to legalize marijuana? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so in that sense, so that's that's one thing. So I think that's something maybe you know members of Congress just to muddy the waters, and I think that people.
3: I wanted to say, I think
5: that's an excellent point. I've been wanting to play this 11 second clip. It's Tim Kaine openly stating senators should not vote how constituents would want them to. To your point, this whole total breakdown in our democracy real quick.
14: I think you're underlining mm-hmm. Eugene's point when he says it's a, it's a cultural divide. Right. You know, I have pro-vaccine colleagues who vote like anti-vaxxers because they think <laughs> that's what their constituents want. And that that's unfortunate. I think I mean, you're underlining I mean, Eugene.
5: The, sorry. That was, you know. This is our would-be would erstwhile vice president. And people say this out loud all the time. People are openly not voting with the people in their, in their, in their districts. 88% of Democrats support Medicare for all. I don't know. I say it until I'm blue in the face. So I think regardless of whether or not it's a performative move or a sincere effort to restructure our government, certainly something needs to be done to call out the complete absence of relationship between what voters want and what politicians willing to stand for, what's your what's your second your second point, Sylvester?
1: Second point: student lo- student loan repayment is coming up, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm seeing that the Debt Collective is uh, hosting a protest in January. I saw um, that. Now, I don't think that a one day of action to raise awareness is going to do much, but I think that if we could ma- model it after what Dr. King was attempting to do with Resurrection City um, mm-hmm. and have a continued stay in Washington that's going to embarrass the administration because there's going to be a lot of eyes on this mm-hmm. um, that embarrasses the, the administration, puts them on front street. I think that's something with the virality of today's, uh, you know, just how viral everything goes today. I think that's something that could gain traction if enough people did it. I'm um, so
5: with that. I'm so <laughs> with that. I'm so with the 10 city and so with that, I, those those Howard students have been were sleeping outside of their dorms for a month plus, you know.
1: Let's just go right up the street. <laughs> they're, they're, t- they're
5: battle tested. They're ready to go.
1: <laughs> Let's go right up the street. And it's unfortunate that Dr. King was never, you know, because he got assassinated right before. Right. And that took a lot of the air out of it, you know, with him not being there. But then I, I imagine, you know, I, I can only like just imagine like what could have happened if he was able to live through that and see, you know, and and actually be there for that, so and then if we can yeah. get some some um some of the TikTokers that are helping out with the Kellogg workers to cold yeah. and disrupt Sally Mae, I think that might be something that uh that could help too. Truly um,
5: fascinating that none of the hackers <laughs> seem to have had to waste student debt. I'm certainly not inciting anything. I'm just observing <laughs> that it's a fascinating
3: thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> that has not yet happened.
1: Yeah. And then uh, and into into the last thing. And this is a little bit more of a long term, a long term thing. But then the other thing is that these aren't going to be short term solutions. So we have to you have to reckon with that. We have to understand that. Um, I think that it's it's fairly likely that the Democrats are going to lose the majority in the mm-hmm. midterms. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's going to put us in a position where we're not going to be able to get anything. Done for mm-hmm. years. Um, me personally, the the way I view electoral politics is I view it as harm reduction. I don't think mm-hmm. that it's going to get us to where we need it. The liberation I'm looking up, I don't think it's going to get us there. But I think that mm-hmm. I look at it as harm reduction. But I think that um, the beautiful thing about life is that we have blueprints that we can follow and uh, improve upon. And I think that if we if we take the game plan and implement another iteration of what the Black Panthers did with the community based programs. Um, I think that's something that that could give us a pathway to build the infrastructure that we need um, to really challenge uh, the, you know, our, our current our current structure, because like I'm mean, like, imagine. So if we if the Panthers were just strangers waving around pamphlets, telling people what was good for them, we a lot of people probably would have ignored. Them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. How many people, you know, handed out pamphlets in the street that you take time and stop to listen to. Right. Right. But. It's something that we do every election season. We just come to people who we don't know, have no relationship to and tell them what's good for them and expect Mm -hmm. the masses to follow that. Right. But what the the Panthers did that was so different, so special is that when you feed, you know, when you feed their children, you Mm -hmm. offer them education and you show an interest in investing in what they're invested in now you become someone that's trusted and you've already shown the ability to improve the quality of their life because what do people care more about than anything else? Their children, right? And yeah. they're more open and willing to listen to you when you bring other things to the table. So my, my point to that is join your PTA. It, you don't have to mm-hmm. be just a parent to join your PTA. And these are a lot of times the people who are showing up to vote. But once you start building a relationship with them, then you like again, you don't start off with, you know, talking about, you know, Marxism and Leninists and all the isms and stuff like that at right. first. But then over time, you know, once you begin to have that relationship with them, now you can uh, 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 almost a political education can be, you know, begin to start happening just when you're just talking about life and these things affect yeah. our lives. So
5: I, th- I think that's 100% right. There was an episode we did with Pascal Robert a while back where, you know, I drilled him down. You know, I asked my question, I'm on my, okay, but what do we got to do? What are we actually going to do bullshit? And he, he raised that, I think, as a really constructive move. Um, and, you know, my, my grandfather was a Black Panther. I, you know, my, my mother participated in those youth programs and that, that, those political lines don't stop that political influence doesn't just go away, I think, to your point. And so I appreciate that. I think all three of those are very worthwhile moves. And thank you for calling in, Sylvester.
1: I'm always here for you. Thank you for providing the space, okay?
5: Thank you. All right, Gabrielle, you're up.
15: Hello, yes. um, Well, we said earlier that maybe the the squad should just uh, leave the Democratic Party. But as Justice Democrats, they were supposed to do that. They were supposed to be elected as Democrats. Right. But then create a third party and leave them, and people ca- could pressure them to leave. Like they could send letters or call uh, AOC and tell her that they they will never vote Democrat, but they're still willing to vote for her if she leaves them. Like we need some form of pressure to create like a third party and some momentum for that, because now it there's they they screwed themselves because they all they, all they did was praising Biden, but. Yeah,
5: (laughs) I think, I think, look, I don't think that you're wrong. I think that a lot of people are going to be unwilling to agree with you in the lefty political sphere because it seems like an unserious suggestion. The thing that makes it an unserious suggestion is that uh, they don't think that anyone will listen and do it. Right. And there is this commitment, um, this weird ideological commitment to protecting the squad members more so than making sure that they're effective squad members. So no one's going to say it, right? But, you know, it, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know if it's my newness to politics. Maybe I really am stupid and naive, but I, I, I have a difficult time understanding <laughs>
3: what's there to lose. I mean, look,
5: first of all, as we discussed in the podcast a million times before, most of these people are in very secure positions. More money was spent to try to unsee AOC in the last cycle than any other race in the country, and she was fine. Um, She's enormously popular. She can fundraise her pants off. Like all of them are kind of in that situation to a greater or lesser degree. So the question really isn't, do you think there's going to be so much blowback from making a move like this? I mean, I I don't want to undersell the fact that saying I would leave the democratic party is significant and there would be a whole media cycle about it. You know, a whole, it would be a whole thing. But I also think that there's strength in numbers and that at some point, you got to either be able to tell me what you're going to do in the alternative that's better or suck it up and do the thing. Because, look, we are at a crisis point in American history. We are at a crisis point, an economic crisis ho- point, a public health crisis point. We've got, what was it, that Norwegian paper that just described uh, American as an underdeveloped country? <laughs> like, this is where we are. You know, what? 800,000 people have just died. You know, like, this is where we are. So if
3: not now, when?
15: Yeah, exactly. But to be fair, like I don't see, you see her as a savior. as see her as a total sociopath. But I mean, well, I'd like okay. her to destroy the Democratic Party, so therefore...
5: Maybe, maybe there's some place in between savior and daughter. sociopath.
15: But <laughs> no, I mean, if she leaves the Democratic Party, I'm sure she's going to be reelected as an independent, and her power will grow this way. Because 100% now, it would. So if we can appeal to that sociopathic aspect of her... Okay.
5: Like that. <laughs> well, I, I would like that's, to think that if she did that it wasn't because she's a sociopath but because she actually realizes where her power lies and it's with the people and it's something that she used to talk about a lot before she was elected in the course of her term and you know I I, I want her to manifest that power and use it for good um, but thank you Gabrielle yeah. <laughs> I, I should tell you guys all I am going to be on with Katie at 7 that's why I'm trying to pick up the pace a little bit because um, I've got to i'm going on live on the katie hopper show we're going to talk about the kamala video and all the things next and i also you know me it wouldn't be a call-in if i weren't running off to a date immediately after so i've got to be (laughs) prepared to walk out the door at the end of the katie set as well so i'm going
3: to try to get through these last few questions i'm going to end to that ted but thank you gabrielle for that bye-bye jahan my friend que
16: what's up rihanna and speaking of that Kamala video, I mean, did she go from like small Ursula to like giant? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ursula, and that? it was crazy. I couldn't believe it, and of course, had nothing substantive to say whatsoever. Uh, of
5: course ridiculous. not. What did you um, see? Some of the, the terrific uh, K Hive reactions. We should I should have asked you guys to submit the best um, K Hive meltdowns.
16: Oh my God. You know, I did not. Um, I have to check those out because I'm sure they're equally as hilarious. But I I just could not believe she pulled a This is Sparta. Like, that was just (laughs) wild, man.
5: My name is Kamala Harris. I should program that into my soundboard. My name is Kamala Harris. (laughs) I am the VP. Oh, oh my thing. gosh,
3: like,
16: this is, this is it. This is where we, this is, this is the culmination of everything of of humanity and all the, you know, the, the journey of sapiens to this is it. It all amounts to, you know, I am Kamala Harris. I am VP. Rawr. You know, you
5: honestly, know. I just want to say for the record that I, I want what's best for Kamala Harris. It's just so obvious that what's best, what she thinks is best for her is bad for the American people. What I want oh. for her what I want for her, and I've said this, and people are going to say it's sexist, but the the, the best, most sincere, authentic, organic version of her that I've ever seen in my life, truly likable A-plus Kamala Harris, was a segment she did, a video she put out with Mindy Kaling, like, a day before she dropped out of her campaign, in which she and Mindy Kaling were in a kitchen cooking you know traditional Indian dishes that their parents had taught them, and it was a beautiful video because Kamala, by all huh. accounts, is an it's a very talented, exceptionally talented cook, chef. Mm. And they were talking about their mom and how much <laughs> they missed her, and all the spices and how they kept them in these like you know you know you know uh, old canisters from other things because oh we're so thrifty and immigrant and like it was so cute. It was so cute,
4: and wow. I want for
5: her to like have a cooking show. I want for her to be the next Martha Stewart. I want for her to make lots of money doing something that she loves, not being in politics.
16: <laughs> yeah. Um, here, here to that. You know, and just about what, you know, the subject of today, mm-hmm. I've really got to say, what, what is the end game for, for the Dems? Like, what, what is going on here? And, and let's talk to Chomsky now since you know because i i gotta tell you Bree, that debate like maybe we want to go drive into the canyon you know <laughs> it, it was just it was so painful to hear it and it left me feeling like oh no no yeah we no we're really really screwed but like I, I swear this party is you know the building burned down for the insurance money it's got to be that like what what else are they
5: gonna do uh that is a sixty four thousand dollar um Question. I, I, I do not know. Like I thought about asking Chomsky back. People have suggested to me that, you know, at the year mark, October, or whatever it was, you know, asking him Uh back. And I think that he would come back and I would love to speak with him again, but I don't, I I don't, I don't want to take advantage. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't, my goal is not to make Chomsky who I admire just like everybody else on the left does look bad. I'm not trying to tarnish anyone's legacy. I mean, I don't mean to sound sound presumptuous but I have that power. This is
16: totally a how you like them apples now moment
5: though. I know, but he's like 95. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, if if he were my grandfather, I would want me to leave him alone. Like, people know. Like, don't people know? Do I have to, like, dig it in? Like, I don't know. I don't
16: know. No, you don't.
5: I don't know. (sighs) Let me know how you guys feel and then messages here you know should i ask chomsky back would that be useful or am i just like beating a dead horse but i am
16: genuinely curious to see what he has to say now that we're at this point right because the you know the circumstances have changed um and, and and if he's not clear enough to see you know then 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 i think it would be the final nail in the coffin uh for me as far as Chomsky yeah i can admire all of the thing you know all the stuff that came before this and I, and I understand his contribution how big it was but there's just been a couple of things this last year where i've been like huh oh yeah yeah i don't know
5: yeah well you know people who have been in this game longer than i have pointed out that he's kind of trotted out <clears throat> periodically to make the same argument every time there's a general election and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what to make of that. I, I am not knowledgeable enough to really make any claims about his politics, or I I don't, I don't know enough. Um, yeah. But you know, like I was disappointed, and I think we're all just sitting with a disappointment. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying I'm gonna make. T- I'm I'm gonna make T-shirts that say, "I was right," with like a picture of Tomsky and me. <laughs> But, like, if you wanted me to make those shirts, we are going to try to get a (laughs) merch store going.
16: And we're going to make the Believe Black women's shirt. We're going to make the Believe with my
5: face on it. Yeah, it's going to be just a troll shop. (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. I'm obviously kidding. But, Jan, did you have any last thoughts about anything that's going on here before I move on to the last two callers?
16: oh no i just have to check in about this one because this is such a mess but all right well thank you join us over free. on the. Ca-
5: thank you thank you so much keep the faith and everyone should go ahead and join us over on katie halper's stream at seven to talk in more detail about the the kamala the kamala vid oops i accidentally made you a speaker that was an accident i'm sorry um take next caller um daniel
13: hi are you there
5: i'm doing very well how are you daniel with the bass and the voice
13: <laughs> I'm good. Um, so, I guess uh, I just really wanted to say like I I don't think any of this is unexpected. I mean, I think all of this just sort of reinforces what I've always thought about the Democratic Party and why I don't think it works. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I think you know the Democrats are just like a a moderate. I mean, they're just like a something that's there to water down any uh any progress or, or whatever that's being made. So like I think the problem is in is in the messaging and and like thinking that you can that you can say you can say a whole bunch of things to get people to vote for whatever, never really deliver anything and then continually get people to vote for it. Like, I mean, you, if you remember from me calling in last time, you know, I told mm-hmm. you, like, I do union construction and whatever. Mm-hmm. The things that you could get, I mean, the things that you could get consistent uh, uh, agreement on, you know, are like things that drew me to bernie the things that you know health the healthcare things Mm -hmm. minimum wage things whatever those are the things that you can that you can get i mean i work with rednecks i work with you know uh all kinds of different people right wingers whatever excuse me rednecks
5: you're trying to get me canceled on twitch what's (laughs) what's happening here daniel (laughs)
13: But uh, I mean, I work with all these people. I work with all these different people, and the thing that we all come to agreement about are the things that are common and that will help everybody. The the things that are unhelpful to this are things that don't. And I mean, I'm saying this as a as a minority or as whatever. I mean, like I am for I am for all these other issues, but but that's not the issue to run on because it's not because you're not going to get other people in your camp on on these smaller issues. If you're like, I mean, if we, I mean, being in black people are 13% of the population, you think we're going to be able to get a majority of people to to i mean you think you're going to be able to push that as an issue to get the bulk of america yeah on. i don't even think we're 13 sense.
5: anymore i think as joe biden said in that leaked call blacks are out latinos are in
0: <laughs> well We've right. have lost yeah, exactly. majority <laughs> minority
5: status and joe biden isn't gonna let us hear the end of it
0: <laughs>
13: exactly and i mean and then as far as i mean just as far as some some of the other things that like I mean, like, I mean, there was quite a bit of talk like about the Panthers on here or whatever. But I mean, like the Panthers were a radical force and the durable things that the Panthers have the that the Panthers have contributed are because they were radical. It was not because they were willing to concede to people or make agreement. I mean, they did things on their own. The programs they started, you know, the community programs and whatever they said, well, if y'all aren't going to do this, we will do this, and they did them and those things still exist. I mean, the the going along with whatever because it's harm reduction or the least of the lesser of two evils doesn't really get you anywhere. I the I agree with very little of uh of the Martin Luther King uh stuff. The thing that always gets written out I mean, what everybody always wants to talk about Martin Luther King for is integration. The part that I do agree with Martin Luther King on is the socialist stuff. And nobody ever talks about Martin Luther King as a socialist. They always use Martin Luther King as a uh, as a thing to preach moderacy.
5: Yeah.
13: Yeah. I mean, that
5: ties in with the point we were talking about earlier, right, about co-opting movements and how effective Neoliberalism is at doing exactly that, but I, I take your point for sure. So, do you have any any exactly. any prescriptions for us going forward in these last few minutes? What would you like to see the left do in this moment?
13: I mean, I would like to see, I would just really like to see the left uh, the left focus on things. I mean, I, I my opinions are on the very 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 far left side of things but i think you need to take those opinions the best of those opinions and find the ones you can get people to coalesce around like i mean like you said many times like you know healthcare how well healthcare polls how well mm-hmm. um medicare for all uh polls how, mm-hmm. how well uh uh minimum wage mm-hmm. thing issues poll and that's the stuff you need to focus on and whatever when you start doing when you start doing things that uh, appeal to small segments, whether it's a segment I agree with mm-hmm. or a segment I disagree with, all you do is start losing, losing constituents or losing or, or at least losing people's interest. Yeah. in Things or
3: so. for sure,
5: and, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of the Kamala Harris episode that we'll be again going to at seven. But she talks at length. Her response to Charlemagne is to frame everything that Biden has done as a black issue. So she brings up maternal mortality rate, which as I said, I've been saying all year, was just it was it was the signal. It was like the bat signal to say I'm woke. Nobody I'm sorry, I'm black, I'm of reproductive age, and I'm telling you, nobody gives a shit. None of these people give a goddamn about the black maternal health disparities what they care about was it for it to be a city that says i care about black people i'm woke i know this this like sociology i know this disparity i'm going to do disparity discourse right now i'm not going to give you me medicare for all i'm not going to make sure that the, 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 one of the root causes of the disparity is cured which is that disproportionate black women are on medicaid and they get lower treatment because they're perceived as poor and undeserving of the standard health care that everybody else gets in the private system But I'm going to talk about it ad nauseum. She brings up all of this niche stuff. Lead pipes disproportionately affect black children, which is true. But she intentionally frames all these things that could be universal issues. There's like 3000 cities that are Flint in the United States. Flint is a 50 percent white city. But she, in the context of defending Joe Biden, decides to make everything sound like the smallest, most niche issue that only affects 12 11 whatever it is now percent of the population and it's remarkable to me that 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 she thought that that was a defense and that's the underdiscussed aspect of that video
13: it, ex- exactly exactly well and i'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it i also think it needs to be pointed out that we're talking about two people both of which could give two fucks less about black people
5: 100 I mean, you know or. i i certainly believe that's true about joe biden i will Give Kamala a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, but whatever she feels in her heart and her spirit doesn't matter to me. What I care about for both of them is how they manifest it, and they're doing a piss-poor job. Thank you so much, Daniel.
3: Last caller, Ted. Thank you. What's going on, Ted? What say you? Unmute yourself uh, with the bottom right. Yeah, there you go.
6: Oh, thank you. Well, uh, uh, thank you for taking my call, Brianna. Thank you for making time for it. Um I understand you need to wrap up, so I will keep um my question as uh, succinct as i can so um earlier you've identified a um a tension in the post bernie left that uh, has i think paralyzed it um which is what do we do next um and i think there are two general tendencies here one is to stick with the democratic party uh and i think that's regarded um uh as the more serious option i just at, whether or not it should be, I, I just think it is at this point. And then, um, doing something else would be the other choice. So stick with the Dems, the serious option, or, um, go another direction, the wild eyed, crazy, unhinged option. I think, I think that's the perception. Um, So here we are now. Um, The Omicron variant has basically made the two years, uh, the the past two years, of the pandemic, which uh, the progress, excuse me, during the past two years, um, just reset to zero. So it's March 2020 all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, Student loans on back on child tax credit. Going away. Medicare rate hike imposed on the nation's elderly. This is the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why should anyone care about the Democratic Party? Mm-hmm. And in order to help us decide if we should do something else or stick with these with these demons, um, what arguments can be made to favor sticking with the Democrats versus, I think, doing what's absolutely necessary and um, starting something fresh?
5: Mm-hmm. What what you're asking me? What arguments could be made to stick yeah, with? The what a, yeah, what you think? Yeah, what? they yeah. good. Well, I mean, our friend, what, what was his name? Was it Daniel earlier uh, who was saying, but I think it's going to happen, which is that they're going to argue that because Omicron and because we believe science and because Roe and because voting rights and all the threats and all the things, they're going to say all those things. But it's not going to land, in my humble opinion, I suspect. It's not going to land. So, I, I, I look. It, things can always get worse, and Democrats can credibly and accurately say the Republicans being in charge will make things worse. It's true. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there isn't a logical, accurate harm reduction argument to be made. But my argument and what I said to Chomsky, and I'm going to play us out by playing that clip, was not that harm re- reduction isn't true, but that if you stretch out the consequences of harm reduction, vote blue no matter who is into the future— What you're doing is guaranteeing that the long arc of history bends toward fascism. You know, you're guaranteeing it. So at some point, somebody has to take a stand and make the gamble for something better. And I understand everyone's so risk averse and all the bourgeois politicians feel the same way as all of us bourgeois podcasters insofar as they're unwilling to lead everybody, lead the, the working class hordes into battle. Like, I totally get it. I've heard AOC. I've heard a lot of them. And I and I believe they're coming from a sincere place. I've heard them all say, I owe this to my constituents in my district. AOC, you know, is proud of getting the death benefit, $7,000 for people to bury their COVID deceased. And that matters to people and their lives. And I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't. But the question is, are you willing to gamble? the the entire future of any kind of democratic party vaguely progressive not even progressive just moderate agenda on your ability to get these little incremental reforms to people in your district and what i said to chomsky and i'm about to play the clip is that there are what ends up happening is that everybody who's been harmed by the last round of republicans and neoliberal democrats is grandfathered in and we're all supposed to just suck it up and say that's the way the world is and all the black americans and we're still suffering since Reconstruction and everybody else is going to, well, that's the way the world is. Your are grandfathered and you just have to keep voting so it doesn't get worse. And at some point, some of those people on the bottom are going to be so squeezed and so pre- pressed like coal that they're going to react and say, we're not going to do this anymore. And a lot of those people well, exist guess- as non-voters and like 50% of the country doesn't vote. And more and more and more people are joining those ranks. Or some, 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 hero, some hero can come along per Mariah Carey and offer a way out. And I don't know if it's the forward party. I don't know what it is. But there's a potential right now for a release
6: valve. Yeah, I just wanted to say that it, it um, I, but it does get worse. It, 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 it's yeah, it does get worse. worse. It's, it, it gets worse no matter what. Yeah, and now it's, I'm the a, speed of it. <laughs> the, it and it's I've the pace just, of it. it. Now the Democrats are in power and they are affirmatively choosing to lock out a generation from home ownership. And correct. starting families, and like correct. what the fuck and, and they they know, and they just don 't care correct, so why are we supposed to to to, to, to give this 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 institution that is actively harming us and choosing to? why should we pretend that they have our, our not even our best interests in heart but our interests in mind at all i I think
5: pretending like there's hope within the democratic party at a certain point is a kind of gaslighting and you know, it's protecting the status quo. It is even if you think that you're just kind of like going along to get along and working in the inside game and you're doing it in good faith. Like I think a lot of squad members are at a certain point, you are manufacturing consent by not ripping the veil off when you're in a position to rip the veil off. Cause you've been seeing what's happening behind the scenes. When Nancy Pelosi gave AOC that dressing down over the iron dome vote and she was crying on the floor, you know, there is a world where AOC says, fuck it. Why am I crying when she just says something horrible and craven to me? Why am I not just going on TV and exposing her? What's the worst that can happen? I lose my seat and have to go and join the coast, be a coast at the View instead, earning millions of dollars a year instead of one hundred seventy-five thousand. Okay, AOC. Like maybe, maybe I'm not saying over that in particular, but at some point, at some time, people have to have a reckoning where they realize that they they are going to do the Marjorie Taylor Greene and rip the mask off and trust that their constituents will support them for doing so. But thank you. What, what, Sorry, go ahead, Ted, if you had a final thought. Par-
6: parting thought, um, I, I, I totally agree. And actually, I think you have just proposed a, um, a, a, a standard by which we can and should judge the squad by because I think they're in a position to do exactly what you said. And I think they've got a duty to do it. And so whether or not they do, um, I, that's a, a leadership success or failure.
5: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Ted. I will say I've been binge watching, um, the, the, the new gossip girl and at the end of the last season, (laughs) there's a moment where it's gotten out of control and the woman who started it feels like it's being too harmful to students, but she's lost control of it because the other teachers have taken it away from her, blah, 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 blah. And the way she kind of like reestablishes equality between students and the, the students and the teachers and gets everybody to act right. Is that she basically opens the, uh, what do you call it, opens the kabuki, is that the expression? Whatever, opens the robe and displays all of the people who've been sending in tips on other students. She releases all of the tips and who sent them. So no, everyone's not riding on each other behind the scenes anymore. It's like full transparency. And that forces people to behave correctly because no one's covering for anybody anymore. There's, they're not able to tell on each other, snitch on each other under the veil of darkness. And I really, 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 really do think that some of these extremely popular electeds who don't rely on the Democratic Party for fundraising, et cetera, should consider not carrying water for the Democratic Party anymore. I'm going to play you out with um, some Chomsky and then probably some Whitesnake. And then joining us, join us all over at Katie Halper at 7. Remember, I talked to Slavoj Žižak on Friday, exactly one year since I talked to him last time about the Chomsky interview and all of that stuff and got his updated opinion on what he thinks about Biden in this moment. So don't forget to subscribe to bad faith podcast at patreon.com slash bad faith podcast for $5 a month. It's a two hour interview. I think we're going to release it in parts. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but most of it, you know, will be paywalled pay- because that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way the schedule panned out. So please do consider going over there and subscribing to hear that. It's very germane to today's conversation. What are the long-term review, consequences of everybody? On the broad left, Democrats, liberals, everyone saying that under any circumstances, we will vote for a Democratic candidate as long as they are incrementally better than the Republican candidate. Does that way of thinking contribute to the rightward shift of the Democratic Party over years? And what mechanism will ever stop that shift if we're not willing to ever under any circumstances leverage
17: our votes? What you're saying, if you think it through, is we should help Trump win, because maybe in the long run that'll affect the Democratic Party. That's a terrible choice. Helping Trump win, as you're proposing, would mean four more years of destruction of the environment, getting possibly to tipping points at which would be irreversible, certainly making any effort to deal with it very difficult. It would mean sacking the judiciary with young, ultra-right lawyers, top to bottom, so that nothing would be possibly done for a generation, and I can go on and on. I don't think that's a wise choice, just on the hope that maybe sometime in the long term, the Democratic Party will pay attention to the fact that you're of the 50% of
5: non-voters. I take the multi-generational threat very seriously. Um, You know, as a Black American whose family members have been living as a third tier in American society. My mother was born into an America that didn't recognize her basic human rights. Um, In 1960, she's a relatively young woman. And so what concerns me is the way in which the vote blue no matter who think mindset basically privileges more recent concerns that are equally grave as more longstanding concerns that are built in the status quo and says we have to vote for X candidate to prevent X ill from happening. At the same time, those who have
3: suffered under the status quo never seem to get an opportunity to have their issues heard.